We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, episode number 96. Today, my guest is Amy Locke. She is the director at the Alabama School for the Deaf, which is in Alabama, obviously. And she has about 178 students at the school where they are in grades 3 through 12. It's also a residential program, and a little more than half of them live on campus in their dorms. She's got a BA and a MA in MED in deaf education, and I'm really excited to have her on the show today. Amy, why don't you start by talking to us about how you got started in being interested in serving deaf students specifically? Oh my goodness. Well, that was a long time ago. I was originally a nursing major, and I needed money for gas to get to school, so I took a job teaching uh, three- and four-year-olds at a local daycare in the afternoons while I took classes in the morning. And at the same time, my parents got involved with a church with a deaf ministry, and my mom required me to go to an ASL class. And at that time, I was a rebellious teenager, and there was no way that I was going to participate, but I will go. And then I met my first deaf person and fell in love with the language and with the culture and with the people. And as they say, the rest is history. I changed my major to deaf education, uh, transferred schools to the University of North Florida, and carved my path that led me here. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So going from a uh, rebellious teenager to (laughs) really understanding that that is actually a pretty good idea. So tell me about what made you love the culture of the deaf community. Talk more about that, because I think a lot of people not knowing many deaf people or knowing how to communicate with them don't really understand what that's like. Well, because the community is basically isolated, it's a small community. So I worked in Texas for a while and then I moved here and I've met people that know other people that I've worked with or worked for. So the community is is incredibly small. 
Um, it's like a giant family, to be honest. And that's what really kind of drew me in was everybody is pretty much open. I mean, there's like a family, there's going to be arguments and everybody taking sides and whatnot, but the culture is, is inviting and they are open to asking questions. They're wanting to learn. They're wanting to advocate for themselves. And I just became passionate for that. Back then there wasn't as much of an awareness of deaf, the deaf community, especially since switched at birth is now a big thing on TV. Uh, it was a lot more rare back then. And it just, it just blew my mind. And I had to be a part of that. Well, I think that that's pretty amazing. When you started out, did you find that it was pretty easy for you to get a job because it's a high demand to have somebody who specifically works with people who are deaf? That is a happy coincidence. My father, when I changed my major, he threatened that that was going to be the last time I was going to change my major. And he was sure that I was not going to find a job. Finding the opportunity to work in the field of deaf education has not been difficult. There's always a place to work to serve the deaf and hard of hearing students. Uh, I've been in three different states now and finding the job was not difficult, but landing the job was kind of, um, because there's so many people wanting to be in the position and willing to move for it. Hmm. That's, that's an interesting perspective. Now you're at a residential school and you're serving specifically students who are hard of hearing or deaf. What are some of the challenges that you feel you face that um, other schools might not be facing? As far as my students are concerned, their families, more often than not, don't live near us. So we've got students from all around the state. So parental involvement on a daily basis or even a weekly basis is hard to come by just because of the logistics of being so far away. And so we've, we're, we're currently brainstorming ideas on how to uh, increase involvement with our PTO, with even simple things like IEP meetings. That happens over the phone just because people can't get here on a regular basis. It's so far away. When I, when I work with my, my teachers, I've got 16 teachers in my department. That's the high school department. We, we are 7th through 12th grade. I've got 16 teachers, and of those, six of them are deaf. So when I plan uh, professional development or a staff meeting or we bring in people, I've got to make sure that it's accessible. So those are the two biggest challenges I find are the parental involvement and then to make sure that um, accessibility is, is equal. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Now, just because students are deaf or hard of hearing doesn't mean that their parents are as well. Or do you have some parents who are also deaf and it's a genetic issue? Well, I've got both. About 90% of deaf and hard of hearing students from all over are born to hearing families. So it leaves about 10% that are genetically deaf. And those uh, families are definitely here. So when we're setting up things or we live stream events to make sure that they can watch their their children walk across the stage and graduate or receive an award or, I don't know, play football. We've got to make sure that it's accessible through that as well. We can, Not just through audio. We've got to make sure that there's a, an interpreter. We just realized about six months ago how to, or we just figured out how to have a little interpreter bubble on our screens um, when we're live casting. So that's that's been an interesting and fabulous change to making it more 
user-friendly for our population. That is pretty awesome. Do you mind sharing how you do that, if you know the specifics off the top of your head? I do not know the specifics. I do know that we use um, SchoolCube for our broadcasting of those events, and uh, we have a um, introduction to TV production uh, class in our high school department. And so the students know a whole lot more than I do, which is more often the case than not. And so they were playing around with it last year and uh, figured it out from what I understand. Well, what's so cool is that that's really good that you don't know and that the kids know how, (laughs) so they can be the ones who are actually doing that. They do for our events, unless it's graduation um, and they're involved with that. They're the ones that are running our equipment. They're the ones that are streaming it. I mean, we've got staff to support them and staff to you know monitor what's going on, but we really try to empower them because this is something they can do when they leave us. They can go and apply that to a job somewhere, the technical skills that it takes to, to run those that equipment. So when you have students that are participating in athletic events like football, you mentioned, how does that work out as far as communicating with umpires, referees, things like that? Do you have a interpreter that's there to work or do you get specific referees that can communicate with your students? Well, fortunately for us, most referee calls are have hand signals attached. So good point. (laughs) In fact, the huddle that we know in football when they're trying to make their plays or decide what the play is, that was actually implemented at Gallaudet University, which is the only liberal arts deaf college or college for the deaf of heart and hard of hearing in Washington, D.C. So that's where that started. A little bit of tidbit information for you guys so that they could hide their plays because we can see across the field what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) so they could hide the plays from their opponent team, the team opposing them. So with the umpires, we have the everyday ordinary umpires like everybody else. We have some that we use um, on a regular basis. They're a little more understanding when we we don't hear the whistles or whatnot. But we play the public school system around us. We also travel to other deaf schools across the, the nation. Next week, I think, we're going to Indiana to play the Indiana School for the Deaf in football. So it's pretty exciting and our kids get to travel and see other parts of the country and and build those relationships and those networks. So it's kind of fun to watch that too. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So does everybody at your school speak sign language or are there some people who are in a position but don't speak sign language? Well, our school is is interesting because we have... mm, ASD is under the umbrella of AIDB, the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind. So we have five different campuses, one right here in Talladega, Alabama, and one of which is the Alabama School for the Deaf. On our campus, for the most part, our staff have some level of sign language proficiency, depending on their involvement with the students. So in order to be a house parent in our dorms, uh, you have to have one level to be a teacher, you need to be pretty pretty proficient. So it just depends on where where you're working and what your job is. But most people who work actively work on our campus um, have some level of communication ability. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that it was easy. It's typically easy for you to find a job, but there's a lot of competition. How easy is it for you to attract teachers and other people to work in your school? That's interesting. We contact, whenever I had an availability, I had three this at the end of last school year. Well, within the last six months, I've had three openings. 
And I've had to contact various colleges and universities to let them know we have a position available to direct their, their graduates to our website. So I have to be mindful of can't just post it. I've got to go and basically recruit so that they know we have a position available. So you have to find a way to go out and find these people. They're not just, you just don't have a bunch of people applying for those positions. It's got to be a lot of work on your end to get them to come, right? Okay. So you're the director at the school. What does that mean as far as your day-to-day role? Well, I function much like a principal. So I am the disciplinarian, I'm the planner, I'm setting up uh, professional development, I do the evaluations and walkthroughs. I am, for all intents and purposes, I am the, the principal of our school. My label is just the director. As far as, you know, our school has six directors. We're, we're relatively small. We have 178 students, but a lot of our departments overlap. So... While I am the director for the high school, the academic area, 7th through 12th grade, there's also a director in the elementary school, which is age 3 through 6th grade. And then we have our career tech, and that's where a lot of our high school electives are, but they also provide the specials for elementary. So there's that overlap. And then we have student development and athletics, where there's also overlap in there. So and of course, there's the cafeteria, <laughs> which the children, you know, loved. <laughs> but for my position, I'm pretty much the principal on a day-to-day basis. Gotcha. And so you were a a teacher there previous to that in that same school. Yes. And when you became the director, what were some of the biggest challenges that you have had to overcome? And you started partway through the year, correct? I did. I started in November. And the biggest challenge for me was, or still is, finding other people to learn from. Because my position and my, my school, the specifics of my school, there's not a lot of other, especially in my area, there's not a lot of other pr- principles that I can use as a mentor. So I am a learner by nature, and I hope that continues for the rest of my life, and I was determined not to drown and I needed to go and find um, and reach out. So I um, established a Twitter account. I've joined, you know, started listening to podcasts. I joined some boxer groups because I needed to be fed and nourished so that I can feed and nourish my people, my staff who feed and nourish our students and not feel quite so isolated. Now there are oftentimes things that don't necessarily apply to me because of the nature of our population, but that's a starting point for me to jump off and tweak to match what's needed here at the school. And so you're taking the things you hear and learn from other principals and you're applying them how they work at your specific school with your specific needs, correct? Correct. And I've had to do that throughout my career with professional development. I can go for a a workshop on teaching reading to at-risk students, and while it might not all apply, to my students, there's always a nugget or two that I can bring back and um, enrich what's going on in my class. And I'm applying the same philosophy and perspective to my current role as director. Which is, you know, really a good way to do it, no matter what kind of school you are at. You can always learn something from somebody else and take what they're doing and apply that to what you're doing. I think that's a really good strategy that I hope everybody listening will 
apply the things that you're talking about to their school and their unique situation. So one of the things that I'd like to talk about also is how you deal with professional development. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I'd like to talk about some of the initiatives that you're doing at your school and what kinds of things you're trying to move the needle on to make your school better. Well, like I mentioned earlier, we have three new teachers in my school. And so actually next week on Wednesday, I'm sending them for classroom management training in Birmingham. I've got to ensure when I send my staff to go to a workshop that there is equal access of those three teachers I'm sending. One is hearing the rest are one is hearing one's hard of hearing and one is profoundly deaf. So I need to make sure that the company or the district that is providing the professional development understands the need for quality interpreters. I mean, not just one, if it's longer than an hour or so, they need to have a couple so they can take turns. Um, so it's, it's all about educating before I send my people to get educated. And if I can interrupt there real quick, it's also, you can't just have your teacher who is hearing be the translator because translating is a lot different than learning in a professional development setting, right? Yes. Um, it's a different skill set. I've said quite often, I'm a teacher. I'm an administrator. I am not an interpreter. It is a different skill set. And if I were to interpret, I don't retain what I need to know for longer than, you know, I, I hear it, I put it out there on my hands, and then it's pretty much gone. I have not been trained as an interpreter. There are laws and regulations for interpreting. You have to have a certain, here in Alabama, a permit or license in order to do that. There are national certifications as well. And so if you were to put me in an interpreting role, that is not only illegal, but a disservice to the client. Yeah, absolutely. So continue talking about the professional development and how you, how you have to do things a little bit differently. My goal for this year is to bring more professional development here. In the past, we have been sending people out and bringing them back to tell us what happened. But I think it can be a little bit more impactful to our whole population if we bring in the professional development. And that, especially in the area of deaf education, that won't necessarily be here in Alabama. So they've got to go out of state and then come back here. So to be mindful of our, of our funding, our funding and to impact the most, the most that I can, I am looking at bringing in our people. So like I mentioned earlier, Gallaudet University is the only liberal arts university for the deaf and hard of hearing in the world. And so they are pretty much the central of deaf education and deaf culture. Uh, there are other colleges that serve, I mean, most colleges can serve and do serve deaf and hard of hearing students, but that's pretty much where the the instruction is coming direct from the professors. There is a technical college, um, the Rochester Institute of Technology, that does as well, and both of those colleges provide professional development, and so we're going to be uh, tapping into that so that we can bring them here and apply it here. As far as local professional development, we're trying to empower not only our students, but our teachers with technology. So we're bringing those people in to come and train us. Our seniors just received um, Chromebooks, and my teachers don't know what to do with them. So we had a, a training here, but again, I've got to be mindful of interpreting, and we have to kind of educate the educator on our needs 
and how to communicate best, how to explain best, and how to empower us through their presentations. So it's been really interesting to see that that role shift. You know, we're coming in as the learner, but wait a second, you're, you, you the educator, you the, the professional development leader, we're going to educate you a little bit as well. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of that educating others when they when they come and work with you. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it seems to me, and please pardon my ignorance if I don't understand this, but it seems to me that having Chromebooks would actually be a big boon to working with students because you add in an element of instant messaging and communicating in a in a different way that may be faster by writing things down, the typing things than um, signing. I could be wrong on that, but tell me your thoughts on that. Um, well, what do you mean by communicating through? Well, a student could be involved in something that they're doing and the teacher may need to get their attention and could send them a message that could pop up on their computer rather than having to get them to visually recognize them is maybe I'm, sounding dumb right now i don't know but no, no, no it's it's perfectly valid our class sizes are extremely small the largest class i have right now in any given subject has 10 students so getting someone's attention is not is not difficult and quite common and depending on what message you're trying to send can be more efficient through sign language or it could be more efficient through, through through typing. It just depends on the students and their preferred method. If you're wanting to be private about what you're saying, make it individualized, sure, maybe. But sign language for most of our students, American Sign Language, is their natural language. So it's not any more cumbersome than calling Johnny out to say, hey, would you mind going over there and getting that pencil? Because it's it's what they're used to. Yeah, well, that makes sense when you say it like that. So thank you for helping me understand that better. Not a problem. Wow, that was an awesome first interview with Amy. Next week, we're going to talk to her a little bit more. We're going to talk about classroom management and the struggles that she faces. And we're going to talk a little bit about how being hard of hearing or deaf is um, essentially another language and a really fascinating conversation. So I hope you enjoy listening to that. Just as a reminder, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I released an episode about the RTI stuff that we're doing at my school. And I just want to remind you to go to picker.org, P-I-C-K-R.org, and check out the awesome app that we developed. And if you're doing some sort of ad hoc grouping for your students, this app will work for you. And uh, pretty amazing stuff. I'm really glad that we were able to get that developed and share that with everybody. It's totally free, and it doesn't cost anything, but it's just something that has really helped us a ton. So please go to picker.org, P-I-C-K-R dot O-R-G. You have been listening to Transformative Principal Podcast, and I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the EduPodcast Network. You can see a lot of other great shows at edupodcastnetwork.com. If you're looking for a little pick-me-up, check out Always the Lessons Empowering Educators Podcast, where Gretchen helps educators feel empowered and reignites their passion and potential.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers' time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.